This morning we're going to be looking at a text that you probably have never studied during Advent. The reason is because we're moving through a theme on this larger sojourn theme called Into His Marvelous Light. And we're looking at these profound images that the Lord has given us of His light in the midst of darkness, not just when Christ, our light of the world, came, the light of the world, but all the way back to the beginning of the history of redemption. And this story, which many of you know well, one of the great chapters of the Bible, gives us a profound look at God's grace and mercy. I imagine in ways that maybe you've never seen before. So let's lean into this text. We're going to read all of Genesis chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. And as it's read, look deeply at the images of light and the images of darkness. Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. But Abram said, And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and darkness, a great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father in heaven, thank you for your holy word. Thank you that we're in a place where we can read it 
and have it preached, and we are not in danger, as some of our brothers and sisters are around the world, and must do so in secrecy. We thank you for that privilege. We pray, though, Lord, because we need the same work that they would, that you would overwhelm us with your presence. Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate everything that we need to see, and that you would give us hope and peace, and that we would find where we are in relationship to this story of redemption, and that we would see that apart from you, we can do nothing, that we would see that we cannot earn our salvation, but we must rest and receive this from you. And that is true of all the illumination, God, so do that work now, we would ask in Jesus' name, amen. Some of you are wondering why Genesis 15, and what's the connection to Christmas? Then you saw the word turtle dove. That's not it. It's much more than that. Christmas is in itself a sojourn this season, isn't it? We have been in a study since September on the life of Peter and the letter of 1 Peter under this broad theme of sojourn. The understanding that this is what God has told us, that we are his elect exiles, that we are on a sojourn. And this is not a New Testament theme for the New Testament church. It is a theme for all of God's people from all time. Even as you saw it here, as God said to Abram, you will be sojourners. Christmas creates in itself this journey, which marketers want us to start very early as stores begin to decorate and Christmas carols begin to be played. Then the church calendar comes into play and we begin to celebrate. And then all of a sudden, our mailboxes are full and our calendars are full. And so many good things are present. But many of these good things, if we're not careful, will keep us from seeing the great. And so we need focus. Christmas is a season, Advent is a season in which there is, in some ways, never an easier time to focus upon Jesus, but in many ways, so many distractions. How is your focus? What is your focus? Right now, even this morning, like me, are you tempted to have it on so many other things are really upon the person of Jesus Christ? Is your focus right now on an argument that you had on the way to church? Is it upon an irritation that's present in your soul? Is it a focus upon a broken relationship that just is weighing you down? Is it to focus upon perfection? You want your house to be perfect? You want your family to be perfect? You want the experience of the holidays to be perfect. What is your focus? Is it finding the perfect gift? Is it something at work with only a few weeks left in this calendar year where you feel like you've got to finish strong? Is your focus on an emotion? Do you have that Christmas feeling? Are you sad that it's not there, but for some reason it's just not, and it's going to be 72 this afternoon? <laughs> Each Christmas season is not necessarily sweeter than the one before. Is it upon a loss and the fact that this Christmas might be different? 
What is your focus? Is it upon a question? A question maybe that you have of God because you don't understand why or where. And those questions are real because they're part of the journey. And while so many things can distract us at Christmas, it's also possible that it's easier than ever before to focus. You know who teaches us this? Our children. And you were once a child. And at Christmas, you were able to laser lock on something, or maybe more than one thing. Likely it was a toy. And children began to think about that as the Christmas catalogs come. Those things in the, the mailbox that delight their mind with images of what it would be like to see that under the tree. And they begin to think about it. And they're in some ways consumed by it. And they're fixed. They get in lines that their parents take them to a mall. And they wait for a long time if it's the wrong day. And they sit on Santa's lap and they say, this is what I want for Christmas. Do you remember doing that as a kid? I do. And that's why I don't do it with our children. I was at the mall this week, and I could not believe how long the line was. But that's what they're there for, a picture and an opportunity for a child to say, this is what I want. They're focused. They are focused. Sometimes on our journey, we lose focus for one reason, and it's because we lack clarity. We just don't know what God is up to, We don't know what he wants. We don't know where he's leading us. We don't know how he's going to respond. And when we lack clarity, there is great temptation to lose focus and to turn our eyes off of Christ, the one who knows all things, to ourselves and our ability to try and discern. Mother Teresa, when she was living, would almost every day allow people to come and see her. And then they would simply come into her place, and she would ask them, how, my child, might I pray for you? Some days the line could be way longer than any line you've ever seen at any mall. And people would be thinking deeply about the few moments they would have with Mother Teresa. And so going into that meeting, they would think deeply about one or two things that they would like for her to pray for. There's a story of a man who waited for hours, hours upon hours, waiting to see her. And when he finally got to her, she said, my son, how might I pray for you? And he'd been thinking about what he wanted, and it was a burden on his heart. And he said, I would like for you to pray that God would give me clarity. And then Mother Teresa, pausing for just a moment, said, no. Can you imagine waiting hours upon hours for this woman to pray for you And when you give her the request, she says, no. He didn't understand. Why would you you say no to that prayer? Isn't that a fair prayer? Isn't that a good prayer? And she says, I will not pray for you to have clarity. Why? Because clarity is the last thing you are holding on to. I will pray for God to give you trust. He then said to her, but you seem like a woman who has so much clarity. And she said back, I have never had clarity, but God has given me trust. Clarity is not wrong to pray for. 
unless clarity becomes that very thing that causes you to take your eyes off of God in order to discern it some other way. God does not promise to give us the kind of clarity we often are seeking. What he promises is to give us himself. And the story that you just heard as Chad and Jada read it is a story about a man who has been called by God with little clarity other than God revealing who he himself is. And because of where he is in this journey, Abram begins to ask God questions about his promise. He begins to ask God questions, seeking clarity about the journey that he's on. And if we look closely, we're going to see something that I promise you will bless your life today, even as you enter into this sanctuary, distracted by many things, I'm sure, like me, that are causing you, perhaps, to seek clarity in the wrong way. Let's look at the text. God and Abram are having a dialogue in which the Lord is speaking to remind you of what has happened up to this point. In Genesis 12, Abram was given a promise by God. Abram was 75 years old at that time. A long time has passed, and the Lord is once again reminding him of the promises that he's going to bring. But Abram is a lot older. The first call came in Genesis 12. Listen as I read from verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed. Think about this. Sometimes I'm afraid that we don't really enter into these narratives. We forget because Abram had such great faith that he was not divine. He was a man. He was a man, a sinner who had fallen short of the glory of God, just like all of us. And so it's easy to focus on the, the stories of his faith. But Abram is never the hero of the stories. Abram is told by God to leave his place and go to a place that I will show you. Think about that. This really happened. And so Abram begins to speak to his people and he begins to lead his people. And some had to be asking, where are we going? And when will we get there? And those answers, seeking questions, seeking clarity, did not have the answers. The only answer Abram can give is that God is leading us. God is with us. God will not forsake us. He believed that. But now, years have passed. His wife has still not become pregnant. And in Genesis 15, Abram begins as he hears about this vision from the Lord to ask these questions. Where is his clarity? Where is his focus? Abram begins to ask God questions that are understandable. Let's go to verse 1, Genesis 15. 
After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Now listen to what the Lord does. Abram is asking honest questions. How will this be? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Verse 4, This man shall not be your heir, and your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So let's start there. What gives Abram hope? What gives Abram hope on this sojourn when he is left It's a long time later, not just months, but years. I mean, lots of years. God does. And what does God do? God says, Abraham, come outside. And so Abram goes outside, and the Lord says to him, look up, look up, look toward heaven. Now imagine what Abram's seeing. There's no electricity. The sun's beginning to go down, and he can see the stars in the sky. And what God says to him is so interesting. He says, number the stars if you are able. Think about that. God speaks to Abram and says, number the stars if you are able. I'm very confident that Abram didn't start numbering. It's obvious. No one can number the stars. And then God says, so shall your offspring be. I think for most of us, when we hear this part of the story, we focus on what Abram was seeing that he was literally seeing the sky full of stars. And once again, he was hearing the promise that God was saying, you are going to have offspring that will be like the stars in the sky. But there's something else here that brings us encouragement. And do you see what it is? What it is, is that as God calls Abram out and says, look, count the stars. Abram knows he can't. But he is hearing from the one who can. Abram's hope is not in some clarity of specific vision. It is in the God who counts the stars. Psalm 147 verse 4 says, He counts the stars. He numbers them and he gives them their name. When Abram is is hearing the voice of God and God says, count the stars, he knows he can't. But he knows he is listening to the one who can, the one who does. The one, if God was willing, Abram could say to him, what is the name of that one? And the Lord would give a name. And what is the name of that one? And the Lord would give a name. And what is the name of that one? And the Lord would have a name. And if God was willing, Abram could say, how long will it burn? 
for how long? And God, how many stars are beyond my eye's ability to even see? And today, how many stars are beyond that which even our most powerful telescope can't see? Those stars, too, are named. And the God who made you and made me knows them, just as he knows the hairs that are on your head. Abram finds comfort in this God who says, count the stars, because he knows he can't. But the God he's listening to can. Here's what's amazing about that. Two or three times a year, you might see a rainbow. And when you see a rainbow as a Christian, you immediately go to this covenant that God made with Noah. And you immediately remember and you teach your children, if you're with her, that God made a promise that he would never again destroy the earth in that way. Two or three times a year, maybe. Guess what? If you want to be reminded of God's power and God's covenant, step outside tonight and any night, and you can see the stars. And what you can be reminded of is that your God, if you've trusted in him, the one true God, knows each of those stars by name. That's amazing. What comfort can we find in the midst of this journey? One, that we trust in a God who counts the stars and knows them by name. Secondly, what comfort can we find on this sojourn? We see that God speaks his will. God speaks his word. Beginning in verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Now, if you want to, take a pen and underline in this chapter how many times it says the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, and he said, and he said, it's in verse 4, it's in verse 5, twice, it's in verse 7, it's in verse 9, it's in verse 13. Time and time again in this narrative, we see that God speaks his word. And the same God that speak, spoke his word to Abram is the same God that speaks his word to us. We believe that every word printed here is the word of God. We have been taught that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is not just a rule book. It is the book of God's word, his story of redemption, the history of redemption from the beginning to the end. And in it, he tells us from the first narrative of the garden to the last that we are on a sojourn. And while we are on this sojourn, his word will guide us. His word will give us everything we need to point to the one who is able to count the stars will point us to the one who is able to lead us. It will point us to the one who will never leave us or forsake us. Abram heard God's word. And while his word didn't reveal every detail about his plan, it revealed enough for Abram to say, I trust you. For example, a little bit later and a few more years later, the Lord said, you are going to have a son. And then you know what the Lord says? About this time next year. God could have said, on this date, at this moment, you will have your son. But he didn't. Because God is interested more in our trust than he is in clarity. Third, what gives Abram hope? It's that this God can count the stars. He does count the stars. It's that this God speaks his word and his will. And lastly, 
It's because this God is a God that keeps his covenant promises. Look with me in verse 12. As the sun was going down, and that means the physical sun was, was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So here we have a picture of God's sovereignty over darkness. There's the physical darkness of God's creation. The sun has gone up, it has run its course, it is now going down. But then there is another darkness, it's the spiritual darkness, and this darkness comes upon Abram, and it's thick, and it's heavy, and it's dreadful. And from this darkness, verse 13, the Lord speaks and he says, know for certain that your offspring will be, do you see the word? Sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But here's the promise. I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall, be, they shall come out with great possessions. And then in verse 17, something very interesting happens. Earlier in the text, where we read the word turtle doves, or turtle dove, the Lord called Abram to go and gather these animals and to kill these animals. And then, except for the birds, he wanted those animals' pieces split in half, and then he spread them side by side, leaving a little room in between. Why? What's happening? In those days, in the ancient days, when a promise was made, when a covenant was formed, those members making the covenant would travel between the pieces. And what they would say to one another as they went through these carcasses was simply this, may I be like these if I fail to keep the covenant. May I be like these if I fail to keep my promise. Now what's amazing about this picture is that God moves through the pieces. He moves through the pieces, as verse 17 tells us this way. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Symbols of light and heat. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. My friends, this is amazing because God shows his benevolence in moving through the pieces, saying to Abraham and his people, may I be like these if I fail to keep my promise. What's amazing about this text is who goes between the pieces. God goes. But there's something else that's amazing, and that's who doesn't go between the pieces. Abram never goes. Do you know why? Because Abram could never keep the promise. It's significant that he doesn't go because what God is saying is this, may I be like these pieces, like these carcasses, 
if I fail to keep this covenant. But what else God is saying is this, may I be like these carcasses if you fail to keep the covenant. God goes where man can't go, except for one. And thousands of years later, on a starry night, there was one new star, and it was pointing to the one who would be the new covenant. It was pointing to the one who would be the word, John 1, the revelation, Hebrews 1. It was pointing to the one who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And on that night, as shepherds and others flocked to see the reality of what that star meant, Christ was born. Christ was born completely human, but he was also completely God. And Christ in his flesh walked upon this earth, and he never once sinned against the Father. He never committed a sin. He was the perfect man, the second Adam. In order for us to be redeemed in God's plan of redemption, a perfect sacrifice had to be offered. Because mankind could never keep that covenant, none of us ever could. We needed a representative who would, who could. And it was this man. It was Jesus. And in order for us to be redeemed, Jesus had to become like those carcasses. Dead without a heartbeat, so that his perfect life and his perfect death could cover all of those who could never keep that covenant. My friend, that's you. That's me. That's every man that has ever been born. And for all who trust in Jesus Christ for that righteous work, that perfect life, that perfect death, they are covered so that when God sees us, he sees the perfection of his son protecting us from his perfect righteousness. God has been faithful. The hero of Genesis 15 and every other chapter of the Bible is not any man other than the man, Jesus Christ. Abram's not the hero. Jesus is the hero. The hero of your faith and mine is Christ. So how is your focus? Now listen carefully as I close. You and I are so desperately needy for Christ that without his sovereign help, we have no ability to even set our focus right on God. Yet, we're so tempted when someone like me this morning says, how's your focus? We're so tempted to think, he's right, I just need to give a little adjustment. My friend, in Christ, your condition, because we're still on this journey, this side of heaven, is much worse than that. 
You do not have the ability or power in and of yourself to even set your focus right on Jesus. If you did, you would be depending upon your faithfulness. What you have is a faithful God who sent his one and only son to live and die the life and death that you could never live or die. And what he promises is to complete that which he started when he gave us the illumination that Jesus, the one born that night where the one star was above, is the savior of the world. So what should be our cry? Maybe it's in the form of a song that we don't really sing at Christmas, but these are the words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now, let me ask you to change one word. Instead of singing, turn my eyes upon Jesus, which is a good song, a good word, a good exhortation, sing it this way during this season. Instead of saying, turn our eyes, pray it this way. Turn my eyes upon Jesus. Even as you sing, admit your dependence on God. Only God can turn my eyes and your eyes upon himself. Is he faithful to do it? He has revealed his faithfulness from the beginning of this word to the end. And he reveals his faithfulness every day. Father, I would not begin to pray it if I didn't think it was from you. And that is simply, turn my eyes in the eyes of all who are in you to you. God, whatever is distracting us, let us not try and fight against that distraction in our own flesh but let us simply ask you and rest in you to do what only you can do, and that is to fix our gaze upon Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would do that for your glory's sake, and that you would do it by your grace. And, oh, Lord, we pray that you would do it now. Give us the trust that we need, that you are going to finish what you have started. We pray together in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen.